Isaiah chapter 54 tonight, so you want to start turning there. But uh, let's commit our time to the Lord in prayer. Well, we come to you tonight to thank you for your word, a settled word. Word which won't return to you void, empty. We're coming and asking you tonight to use your word in our lives. Speak to us by your spirit. Who can alone apply the truth to us. Enable us to see your perfect way. We're coming trusting you for it. So fill us with spirit and I to both to speak and to hear. And we're trusting you for it and we would pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 54 starts off in a way which is a little, it almost seems strange in light of where we've been. We've been thinking about the work that the Lord did on the cross. Isaiah chapter 53, the suffering servant of Jehovah. And then abruptly... Isaiah changes mood and he starts the chapter off with these words, Shout for joy, O barren one, you who have borne no children. Shout for joy. The experience that is to follow what has happened. Now, this particular chapter is one where it's it's pretty difficult, I'm going to be honest with you, to expound and to be clear and and to uh, say, how does it apply to us? Um. We have already noted the fact that Isaiah speaks to at least four different groups of people. He had something to say to the people who he lived with. You know, the people of the day that actually heard this message spoken. There was something for them in this. He was speaking forward to a group of people 150 years later who would be in captivity. They're part of the nation of Israel and who would get into captivity. And God spoke to them about what he planned to do at that particular time. While he's saying that, he also speaks to the people of the Lord's day. And there's a lot in the book of Isaiah that tells what's going to happen when the Lord himself was on this earth. And of course, there is an aspect of the book which applies to everyone, to all of us who know the Lord. So it speaks to us also. The problem comes with who is he speaking to at this particular point, right? Who is it? that Isaiah is addressing when he gives these tremendous promises and great uh, encouragements. And so I want to take a little bit of time with that because there is a good bit of debate between scholars how you look at this. So here's, I want you to know how I am looking at it. So I'm going to run through my own perspective. This is the way I understand this. So that we'll have some, you'll understand how I'm going to apply that in our circumstances. The nation of Israel in the Old Testament has an experience which becomes a picture, a presentation of God's bigger work in the whole world. What do I mean by that? The nation of Israel was had a particular opportunity with God, and how that worked out foreshadows what God's going to do in a bigger picture. That is what he's going to do for all of us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's what happened. This is quickly, just to remind you, the key events. This is the, the pattern. The first thing that was important was Israel had a very special calling. They had a great opportunity, an opportunity that other people weren't given. They were called to be a people, he said, it would, who would know him. We're going to go particularly, because we want to go quickly through this, to the time of the captivity, or the time of captivity, the time of, in Egypt. 
and how God delivered that nation from Egypt. And he brings them out of Egypt and he takes them to a place called Mount Sinai. And there he tells them, you are a chosen nation. You're going to become a royal priesthood. All right, you're going to be, you have a special calling in life. And he blessed them particularly, and then he gave them direction. Both those are very important. He blessed them. You know, he brought them out. He would give them a, a land to live in. But he gave them direction too. He said, this is what it means to live righteously. Right? So they had all the opportunity in the world to do the right thing. They had God with them. They had his word to direct them. Now, to use the passage from Isaiah chapter 53, this is the experience Israel had. On the whole, all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. God gave them a calling and direction on how to fulfill that calling. And what did they do? They went their own way. And their own way turned out to be just like everybody else. That's what we want to note here. And they... they they went into sin. I mean, that's where you always end up when you go your own way. You end up in sin. Because there is a devil out there intent on creating a world to entice you to go out and sin. There's nothing original in sin. It's been all my life very humorous to me that people cut me. I'm not going to follow God anymore. I'm going to do my own will. And they all go to the same place. It's always the same couple things. It always is greed. It's always impurity. It's always lying. It's always, it ends up in a mess. Now, there is a problem with going that route, right? And that's on your notes there. They, Israel ended up in hopeless bondage. Why do they end up that way? Well, there's two sides to sin that we have to, to think about. There's two different ways you can think about what makes sin wrong. Well, sin is wrong on one side because God said, don't do it. And he is the king, all right? He has the right. And one of the reasons why we get in trouble when we sin is because we are opposing God Himself. Right? And that's, that's probably the common way to think about it. That, and we think about this as just being a problem between us and God. And it is in a sense. But there's another side to the whole thing. The reason that God said some things are wrong is because they'll hurt you. They are harmful. And that if God, he won't do this, but if God simply removed himself from the whole thing and said, hey, just do what you want to do and you got there, then you would no longer have that sense of God hanging over and it wouldn't be a problem. Would it? Well, what would happen to you? Sin because it's devastating, because it affects your being, because it warps your being, would take you into a mess. That's described in the book of Romans in chapter 1 when he says God gave them up. As God withdraws his own influence on people, what do they do? Well, they go into sin, and sin hurts you. You see, we, we get to this thought that if God would just get off our back, then the impurity wouldn't make, it wouldn't be a problem. But it's not just because God said that impurity is wrong that makes it a problem. It's because there is a difficulty to that. I want to say that psychologists all the time are trying to figure out, is there a connection here? But the fact of the matter is that when people throw off the restrictions of God, the predicted ends occur. Whether psychologists can figure it out that there's no connection between the two at all. But he tells us it starts off with rejecting God. It ends up with a violent world. In fact, there is indication in the Word of God that the only reason... 
that the world is tolerable at all, that it doesn't self-destruct, is that God keeps a damper on things, that He holds back sin, that He restrains the (laughs) impulses of men. Part of that restraint is the church, the people who know God. You are the what? The salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. But even without that, there is that influence of the Spirit of God. But And that's part of the picture of the end days. When he's finally finished with all, he will just lift his hand and the earth will go its own way. But when it goes its own way, what will it do? It will self-destruct and become a very violent place, just like it did before the flood. Earth filled with violence. It's filled with violence tonight. This country is filled with violence because we're going our own way, right? There's, so there's two sides to it. One way you get into, you find out if you go your own way, you lose control of yourself. You lose control of yourself. You get to a place where you can't do the right thing. Not in every case, but again, you, you begin to lose that ability to choose the right path. But then the other side of it is eventually you're going to get in a place where the consequences come home because you lose control of the consequences of your actions. It's one of those ones you, we all need to help younger people, younger brothers and sisters to understand this. You reap what you sow. You start going the wrong way. And it has an effect. And in time, it will come back to roost. It has to. God said so. So that you can say the wrong word to somebody and you can ask for forgiveness, but you can't change the way it affected that person. You can't guarantee your repentance from your sin doesn't guarantee that the second person isn't going to remain hurt and isn't going to come back around. And we all know about that part. Well, that's where Israel went. They went their own way and they ended in violence. They ended up finding out they couldn't go the right way. And then finally... They ended up in captivity because God said, if you keep this up, eventually I'm going to drive you out of the land. Now, that's why when we get to that point in the captivity, that's this time when they went to Babylon, it was almost completely hopeless there. And every every writer who addresses it, Isaiah, Jeremiah and Ezekiel are the prime writers that will address it. will talk about how Israel is has a sense of hopelessness. Because they've gotten themselves into a fix that they can't escape from. They cannot go back now. And there's, it's a picture of where people get themselves in, in our own lives, right? A place where you can't go back. Where it looks like, again, you are, in fact, you are. If, it, if somebody doesn't come in and rescue you, you won't go back. Now, the good news for Israel was this. When that took place, right, there was still hope. Again, a verse which I quote a lot of time because you've got to catch it in context. It's when everything was collapsed and it looked like there was no hope that Jeremiah says this, the stead, this is, I call to mind, therefore I have hope, that the steadfast love of the Lord doesn't ever stop and his mercies don't ever come to an end They're made new every morning. Great is the faithfulness of God. 
Right? And so God promised, he had promised way back, that when this happens, he promised that way back at Moses, when everything comes upon you, when you do the wrong thing and you get in real trouble, you go out there, when all these things have come upon you, the, the blessings and the curse, and you call on me from out there, right? then I'll answer you and I'll bring you back. But they won't call until God meets them out there. And so God comes out and he meets them and brings them back. All right, There's prophecies concerning that. Now, that experience, they did come back from the captivity. Not all of them. Not all of them. Only a small portion did. And that's important. We'll get to that next week. A small portion did. But the opportunity was there to come back and start over again. Now, that experience that they had is a picture of what God's going to do for the human race as a whole. Let me start back there at the beginning. Because you are a human being, because you are alive, you have a high calling. That you're either fulfilling or you're not fulfilling. Because you were made in the image of God. And that image was planted on human beings. It was not planted on cows or dogs or anything else. There's a confusion in this day. There is a difference between human beings and every other creature on the face of the earth. In that God planted into the human experience the possibility of connecting to God in a manner of love. That's tremendous. You have the chance, I have the chance to show what God is like, but also I show what God is like by walking with Him, by living with Him, by by having that experience with Him. That's where Adam was. He was created in the image of God and he was placed there. And you remember that after he sins, the picture that is given of God coming to meet him and he's not ready for that meeting. But God was coming. He didn't, he didn't call on God to come. He was there. God taking care of him. God providing for him. God giving him opportunity. God giving him a chance to glorify his name. Okay, that's the high calling of the human race. And then what happened to the human race? Well, that's where Isaiah 53 was, right? All of us, every single one of us, every single one of us went astray because we turned to our own way. God gave us that. He told us what the, how, how we were to live, and we chose not to, right? And that gets us into real trouble. That gets us into real trouble. And that gets us into a place where we end up bound to sin, right? Bound to it. And tied up in it. And the judgment of God hanging over top of our head. Isn't that a fix? You remember the day you figured that out? The day when you realized that it was not only you did wrong things, but it was never going to change? Do you remember the time when maybe you never had that? I had that terrible night. When it was absolutely hopeless, I I can't promise anything. I have promised and promised and promised, and I haven't gotten anywhere on this. I am hopeless in this situation of sin. Praise God. It was a great night. I didn't know it was a great night, but it's a great night. Why? Because there's a God who came to rescue. He came to redeem. That means redeem means to come and buy back something that can't get out of his mess without my help. And he comes in and he redeems. Right now, the picture of 
God getting Israel out of Babylon becomes a picture. It is so close in type to what God's going to do for every one of us as He comes to get us and take us back that when the prophets describe that experience, they have a tendency to go way beyond it and describe what God's going to do in salvation. The book we said was primarily, or this section of the book is primarily directed towards God, or through God, to try to, to tell them about what was going to happen is how God would take them back out of here. But right in the middle of it, what's he do? He talks about the suffering servant of Jehovah. He goes to the cross. There's no question he's jumped way out of 700 B.C. And now he's down at the cross talking about how God's going to deliver the whole thing. So there is, in these prophecies, there's always that element of him stretching out and going forward to something bigger, something that has to do with those of us who are outside of all that. Where is the line on that? Where can you say he's doing this? That's where I'll leave with theologians. They, they tell me, it's, it's interesting to see them whittle a verse into three pieces so that they can get this one here and this one here and this. And you're going like, but that's only three words. How can they? I mean, but anyway, I have a problem with that. I'll be honest with you. They don't like the idea of double fulfillment. They don't like it. But all I can say is you look at the word, you look at what's in that word, and you listen to it, and you realize he's, he has to be talking both to them, but also to something way out here. So that it is in in Jeremiah's discussion of how God will deliver them that he says, I'm going to make a new covenant with Israel. And he tells them what that new covenant will be. And the writer of Hebrews says that new covenant applies to the, the people in the in the church, not just to Israel, but to the whole church. Ezekiel will talk about it, and he'll be thinking about how God's going to bring them back. And he said he's going to do certain things to bring them back. And he says, you know what? I'm going to come in, and I'm going to make the dry bones live. But that goes way beyond just those dry bones, because he's going to go on to say this about them, that I'm going to take out that heart of stone that's in you, that inability to do the will of God because you've rejected it, and I'm going to put a heart of flesh there, and you're going to follow me. So that this picture jumps way beyond. Now I say all that. How about that? That's our introduction. Because we have to look at the actual chapter. And when we're looking at this chapter, I'm going to suggest that we're not going to worry so much about the details of what it meant for Israel. Because, and we're not even going to go into the why I'm saying this, but there are some parts of it that just don't fit Israel's experience. Some parts do and some parts don't. And I want to look at the bigger principles of what it means to be in that place where God blesses. And that's what's at the, the end of your, of your section there. What's the application to us? And I want to see, first of all, the joy that's in this, this passage. And I'm going to read down through a few, the first verses so that we have the picture in front of us. So I'm going to start in chapter 54, beginning in verse 1. But again, pick up the mood of what's going on. It says, Shout for joy, O barren one. You have borne no child. Break forth into joyful shouting, cry aloud, and, and uh, you who have not travailed, that is, travailed in childbirth. For the sons of the desolate one will be more numerous than the sons of the married woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent, stretch out the curtains of your dwellings, spare not, lengthen the cords, strengthen your pegs, for you will spread abroad to the right, to the left, and your descendants will possess the nations." And they will resettle the desolate city. Fear not, for you will not be put to shame. 
And do not feel humiliated, for, you're, for you will not be disgraced, but you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more, for your husband is your maker, whose name is the Lord of hosts. And your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, who is called the God of all the earth. For the Lord has called you like a wife forsaken, grieved in spirit, even like a wife of one's youth when she's rejected, says your God. For a brief moment, I forsook you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In an outburst of anger I hid my face for, for a moment, but with everlasting loving kindness I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Now, we want to go through the rest later, but we're, that's enough for right now. Now, there's a picture being presented here. There is a an image being presented to us. Now, we do have to do a little bit of cultural um, movement. We have to move into a new culture to catch what's going on here. A woman in Israel's day, in the day that Isaiah is speaking, the highest experience, this is what you were taught to count as the most blessed experience you could have was to be married to a man who loved you and as you were married to that man, have children, lots of children. A loving husband and a big family was the ultimate blessing. All right? Again, this is their culture. (laughs) That's where it was. And the writer, Isaiah, picks this up and, and is comparing to Israel, and he's saying, you are not a blessed people. Now, he, he changes the metaphor slightly as he goes through here, but at the beginning, he starts off with this picture that you are a woman who hasn't had any children. That's a problem by itself. You remember how Hannah cried to God and, and because she didn't have a child, even though she had a loving husband. She didn't have a child, and that was, it's, it's a disgrace. And he picks that up, but there's another problem. It's not only that she hasn't had children, but she doesn't have a husband. And she doesn't have a husband because the husband she had rejected her. She's not, now he does pick up later on the idea of widowhood, but it's not just widowhood. This is a picture of a woman who has displeased one way or another a husband which would that would give you a whole lot more social pressure on you it's not like your husband just died and you're a widow you're someone that was of you wasn't good enough you weren't good enough for your husband and you didn't have any children and that would put you in a place where your future is really really bleak if you understood your experience in life, the purpose of your living is to be the wife and mother, and you're not going to be either one of them for the rest of your life. You are a depressed person. Right? We have to catch that. The last chapter has, is written because that was the condition for Israel. It's a picture there. That because of their failure to run, uh, to keep their relationship with God correct, they were in a place where they were not, the picture of bearing the fruit was the picture of they are not fulfilling the purpose of God. They tried to fulfill that on their own and they never got there. They weren't finding blessing. Remember that, that point that it says that one time, if on this at the end of, of chapter 40, 48, that it says this, that if only 
you had listened to me. I would have extended peace to you like a river. It would have been just like, it would have been flowing over you. If only you would have listened. The peace there isn't just peace like calm. It is the sense of well-being. It is the shalom that is the, the greeting. May, may well-being flow to you. And he said it would have been there, but they didn't do it. And so that's where they are. And having been rejected and being childless, they are hopeless. That's the picture there. What is the hope for those people? What is the hope? Well, he's going back to that. That's why the passage is here. What, what is God? It's what God can do. It's how he will step in. In chapter 53, he told us the beginning of how he steps in. He steps in in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's where, again, he's, he's jumping way out ahead. But listen to that for just a moment because it's important you, you think this through. The reason that Abraham had a relationship with God would be because of what Jesus Christ would do years after that. The reason that Moses could have a relationship with God was on the basis of what Jesus Christ would do in bearing sin. Without the forgiveness of sin, there is no Right? There is no forgiveness. Without the forgiveness, or without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Unless the Lord had done that, all of those Old Testament saints' experience was, was impossible. They had to have a provision made, and God could deal with them on the basis of a provision that would be made in the future. But that provision would touch also a whole, whole world because, remember earlier, God said to the, the servant, that one who is a suffering servant, it's too small a thing that you should just bring back Israel. I'm going to make you a light to the nations. I'm going to give you the opportunity of speaking to the entirety of the world. So that provision was made. So now he's thinking about that picture. Now here's what he says. You're in that state. You're unblessed. And we're not going to try to go many much further with the illustration. He says, but now you're going to be greatly blessed. And it's a picture of somebody who's living in a tent like Abraham used to live in a tent. So I say, you need a bigger tent. You know, for a woman who had no husband, that was a funny thing to say. He says to Israel, you think it's hopeless when you're in captivity there. But I'm going to take you out of there. I'm going to come. That was, the, that was the whole point of the vision of the Valley of Dry Bones. This is what Israel says about themselves. Our bones are dried up. Our hope is gone. And what did, I, what did God say to Ezekiel? He said, you preach to them and ask the Spirit to come on them. And then the Spirit comes on them and they become a nation because God can, can go into the most desolate circumstance and change it. It's one of the great privileges, the great opportunities to preach the gospel. That's why you keep on going. It's because there is no circumstance, there is no place where a person is in bondage, no place in which it looks hopeless, which it is hopeless if you're still alive. Because God is able to work by His Spirit and completely transform. It has nothing to do with the power of Israel there. It has everything to do with the power of God. That's where the gospel part comes in. So it says, you, you rejoice. The gospel is very good news. So no matter what condition you're in tonight, there is a potential in the gospel for you to be in a place 
where you know God and you know the power of God to live a way which leads to blessedness. That's the first part we want to note. Second thing I want to note is that the gospel restores a relationship. And this is, this is key to it. How is this all going to come to pass? Well, when they were, they went into captivity, they went into captivity because of their sin, right? God says it was in a point of anger. I, I, I pushed you out there. But now with loving kindness, I'm coming to get you. And your maker is going to be your husband. That's carrying on the picture here. That you're going to enter into a relationship with God. Now, how secure is that relationship? And I want you to go to verse 9, because I want to keep on reading there. Because he finishes in verse 8. said, but with everlasting loving kindness, I will have compassion on you. For thus says your, the Lord, your Redeemer. For this is like the days of Noah to me, when I swore that the waters uh, of Noah would not flood the earth again. So I swore that I will not be angry with you, nor will I rebuke you, for the mountains may be removed and the hills may shake, but my loving kindness will not be removed from you, and my covenant of peace will not be shaken, says the Lord who has compassion on you. He takes him back to, to Noah and said, well, after the flood was finished, it's receded. God speaks to Noah and gives him one of the covenants of the Old Testament. He says this, that it's never going to happen again. I will never devastate the earth again with a flood. From now until the end of the age, until everything is finished, the spring and the, and the fall is going to go in its regular cycle continuously. It will not happen. And it hasn't happened. Why? Because God keeps his word, right? It's not going to happen again that way. This earth will be destroyed, but it will not be destroyed with water. And he goes back to that and he says, now here's what I want you to get. Just, just like it has never happened, I want you to know this, that when this relationship is established, I will never change it. That the hills might disappear. In that interesting way he puts that? The hills might disappear, but my loving kindness will never be removed from you. That's tremendous. That's the potential of the gospel. That's why it's a shout for joy at the beginning. Not only is there just a general goodness to it, but you have a relationship established. And that relationship will never be changed. That's important for us to, to think about tonight. How secure are you? This is just important. How secure are you in that thought? If you are not secure in the love of God, you're not secure at all. There is no replacement for that. If you've got one, come and talk to me. I'd like to find out what you've got that you can replace with because everything about my life is totally insecure as far as the future is concerned. I have no control over my health. I have no control over the economy of this country or the way the world is going. I can't control the people around me. I can't guarantee one thing about tomorrow. But it's okay. Why is it okay? Because the steadfast love of the Lord never stops. And His mercies don't ever come to an end. Every morning I wake up, it will be exactly the same as it was before. 
That's a tremendous gospel to be able to speak to people. Now, again, people will hear that and go their own way. I know that. But if you've gotten to that place where you have been, you're conscious of being held, you've gone your own way and you're beginning to realize your own way is destroying you. Your own way is undercutting your pursuit of the happiness that you thought you were going to get out of all this. God wants to say that to you. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter how far or how badly it has gone, the gospel's there. The message is always there. And if you're alive, you can turn back. Oh, we like sheep gone astray. What was the idea? Go back. We went astray when we left God, and he made the way back. It's at very high price to himself. We saw that last week. It had very high cost to himself because he, the eternal God, had to take the sin of the world on himself. But he did it. He did it. So that he can, stand, can extend to us tonight the loving kindness, his loving kindness, if we'll just come. And he finishes out there in the last part with the security concerning the future. Not only do they have this relationship, but they have this tremendous security about the future. And that's where I want to to finish up because these are verses which have been extremely valuable to me as far as my um, personal life going because again everybody knows this I'm telling you all the time but if there's anybody can look at the future and think that it's bleak it's me alright that's the bent of my being it's been that bent all my life so that when God gives hope that may not mean as much to you as it means to me but it means a whole lot to me as I said, I look at the world as a dangerous place. Place an adventure, I look at it as danger. Stay safe. Try to make it through. How are we going to get to the other end? What's going to take place? Well, tremendous verses here. One thing I do know, and it's, I'm not as insecure as I might sound, because I know this, that there are certain things that God has promised to me concerning the future, and he'll be there. He'll be there. And I'm saying this because there might be others in the place who have the same bent of mind. And here's what you have to do. It's as simple as it can be. You have to remember this. The steadfast love of the Lord doesn't cease. He's always he's already ahead. The Lord has already worked it out. He's worked out my whole plan. The whole plan. And as, as stupid as I am as a sheep, and as prone as I am to take the wrong step, He's already taken that into consideration. Because this is what he has to say, say next. The security. This, the power that it has. Verse 11. Oh, afflicted one. Now, that's he's talking to the people in the captivity. Oh, afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted. Behold, I will set your stones. And that's, these are foundational stones. I'm going to set a foundation for you. And I'm going to set it in, ten, in intimidity. That, that, that speaks about power. That speaks about Solid ground, all right? He's going to set it in that. But it also has beauty to it for your foundations I will lay in sapphires. How about that? (laughs) He's going to use gemstones for the foundation for this. It's an interesting picture, but we won't pursue that too far. Moreover, I will make your embattlements of rubies. He's describing the the building of of a city wall. And your gates of crystal and your entire wall of precious stones. All of your sons will be taught of the Lord. 
and the well-being or the peace of your sons will be great. In righteousness you will be established. You'll be far from oppression, for you will, uh, will not fear. And from terror, for it will not come near you. Now that hasn't been completely fulfilled on Israel's behalf. So again, this has to be speaking of something bigger than just them. And it says this, if anyone fiercely assails you, it will not be from me. See, when God puts his love on us, then his love is on us, and he's not going to attack us. He doesn't attack. If they do assail, it won't be from me. And whoever assails you will fall because of you. Behold, I myself have created the smith who blows the fires of coal and brings out the weapon for his work. As the man is preparing to attack you, I created him. But here's what I want you to know. No weapon. Right? Uh, no weapon, verse 17, that is formed against you will prosper. And every tongue which is the, uh, that accuses you in judgment, you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is from me. In other words, I will back them up on this one. That's what he's saying, the vindication. Now, what's he saying there? This is a tremendous point concerning the future. And again, let me uh, put it in a, in, a, in a way that it isn't a quote from this, but it's one we know better. Romans chapter 8, right? It has both points in, in reverse order from there. Because here he has two things. No weapon forged against you will ever prosper. And no word of judgment, condemnation against you will ever hold. Let's go to Romans chapter 8 and look at that. <laughs> He's saying exactly the same thing as this speaks to or says to us. Excuse me just a second. I'll get there. All right. In verse 31, this is Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What shall we say to these things? He's talking about the justification that God brings. It's talking about the gospel and the power of that gospel. How powerful is it? And here's what it says. And what should we say to these things? If God is for us, what does it say? Who can be against us? If God's for me. Who can be against me? I want to elaborate that in just a moment. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not with him also freely give us all things? Everything else we need. If he didn't spare his son... What would he withhold? The book of Ephesians. I've told you many times. This is one of my favorite points. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And the meaning of that passage, what it says is this, that there is nothing God could have done for us that he has not done for us. We must not fall for Eve's the deception of Eve that God is He's giving you certain things, but He's withholding other things. Paul says this that there's immense riches, and he, he he gloried in the privilege of telling people of the unfathomable riches in Christ. And here's what it was that God, who is the fount of every blessing, has so loved us in the Lord Jesus Christ that He has given to us everything that it is possible for the eternal God to give to a being. That 
should make the future pretty good. All right? All right. And he says this in verse 33. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Now I'll just mention a couple couple applications to that. And again, this is the same thing. It says no weapon forged against you. You're gonna every word raised up in judgment, you'll condemn. Let me say first of all, we have an accuser. Let's start off with that one. We have an accuser of the brethren. A person who a being out there, the devil himself and his and all of his friends who continuously attack the people of God, convincing them that they have something on them that God says is gone. That's why we have to be clear about the love of God because you, every person is going to get accused. Because that's the name, the, the, the name of the being himself is the accuser. He's the accuser of the brethren. And uh, he does a lot of damage. All right? It is one of the interesting places in the book of Zechariah where Joshua, the priest, is sitting there. He's not ready to be a priest. He's in the presence of God and he's unclean. And the devil is standing beside him in letting him know that he's unclean. And you remember what the passage is? Here's what it happened. And the Lord said, Lord, rebuke you. Watch what I'm going to do. I'm going to put a clean garment on. See, the Lord stood there with Joshua as he's being accused. So one place where there's ones coming who are going to accuse. They're going to stand up in judgment against his devil himself. And you have the right to back him off because you are complete in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you know him, you're complete in him. You can back him off. We can run into those around us who will accuse us of things. And although they might be even be accurate in what they've got to say, the Lord says this, it has, no, it has no place with you. Because their accusations against you are not, those that oppose the people of God are finally going to be, they're going to lose. They're going to lose. You can't do worse than oppose the people of God and your experience. So that's, that's also not a problem. But I want to say a third one that's very important. Your own heart can condemn you. Your own heart can accuse you. The accusations can come from within. Again, you could argue whether they're coming from your heart or the devil or people who are telling you that. It really doesn't matter where they come from. Because it says, every word raised up against you in judgment, you will condemn. Every word, right? Every one of them. How about that? Let's look at that. Um, that's Romans, so anyone anyway, won't get there. But anyway, you got the idea there. But there's a second side to it. After that, he goes then to the other, the other feature of it. And I want to finish with that because he said, "No weapon forged against you will prosper." Why won't it prosper? Well, Paul is picking up exactly that thought in Romans chapter eight, and let's go on there. <clears throat> it says, "Who who will bring a charge?" We got that charge against God's elect. God's the one who justifies, who is the one that condemns. Christ Jesus is the one who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. And that's all right there in the passage in chapter 53. And then he says, that who will separate us from the love of God, the love of Christ? 
And then he talks about, well, tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or the sword. All of those are external oppositions to the people of God. They are weapons formed against them. He does not say, Paul does not say that none of those things will happen to us. Nor does Isaiah say that none of those things will happen. He does not say that no weapon will be formed against you. He says no weapon forged against you will prosper. It can't prosper. Because when a person is in Christ, God himself encases that person, protects that person, and secures that person's future. So that, yes, they could stone Stephen, but Stephen wins, the stoning people lose. Except for the man Saul, who would finally come to God, and he will have his head cut off. Late in his... Again, it's... It's his, at the end of his ministry. He died at a Roman sword, but he's the victor. Because this is what he had to say way before that happened. This is what he said. Because none of those things can hurt us. Why can't they hurt us? Because nobody can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus and the eternal God which has created us. The Lord, our husband, is our maker. And he's the maker of everything else. And so there's security out there. The gospel is a tremendous message. He said, it goes on, verse 36, just as written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us, for I am convinced, this is Paul's statement, I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. Now, there he's talking about the weapons. He's talking about the people who wield them. There's nothing out there. Nothing. No created being that can do anything will be able in any way to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Now, that's that's what Isaiah was looking at in that passage. You see, he starts off that chapter with shout for joy because once God has done his redeeming work, once he has dealt with the great problem of sin, then the entirety of the blessing of God is towards a person. As we said just a couple weeks ago, the great blessing of the gospel is not the forgiveness of sin. The great blessing of the gospel is the right to come to God. It is the, the life that we share with God. The forgiveness of sin is absolutely necessary to deal with the problem of our, our lost relationship. God had to deal with that. There was wrath there, but He took it out of the way. But it's not that he just wants to take it out of the way so we can be forgiven beings. He wants to take it out of the way so that we can be people alive in Jesus Christ. So we can know what it is to live for his glory, that we show forth the glory that we were first intended. And also to experience fellowship with him. That's the gospel. And that's what's in that, that particular chapter. There's an application to Israel, but there's an application for us. And no matter how far we have gone from God, no matter how much that has affected our life, he says to us, I'm able 
to deal with that. Rejoice. I'm going to make you fruitful. I'm going to do that by bringing you into a right relationship. And I'm going to make that relationships, relationship absolutely solid. It will never change. And because it will never change, not only will my relationship with you never change, but nobody can do anything about that. You belong to me and no weapon that anybody can ever bring against you can ever touch that. And no word of condemnation which anybody else, I have justified you and no word that anybody else can bring can affect our relationship. Isn't that tremendous? That's the gospel. I wonder if you've really laid hold of it. I'm just urging you again tonight that what we've been thinking about for the last couple of weeks. I know what it is to go astray, go my own way. Have you ever come to the end of that? Have you come to the end? It's a real important question to ask. And you've come to that place where you said, you know what? I can't do the right thing. I need saved. I need delivered. I need rescued. I need redeemed. I need to be kept, <laughs> taken back into the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ is a Savior. You come to him, he can deal with the guilt of sin, but he can also break all the bondage. We sung it tonight, right? Long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin in nature's night. Your eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. The chains fell off. Your, his heart was free. Have they fallen off? Are they free? He can do that. He can do that. Don't take a cheap Christianity. Don't take a, don't take a, a low place. He's able to do it. Come to him and ask him to bring it to pass. Chapter 53 enables God to bring the good news of chapter 54. I want to bring you into a relationship and I want to keep you forever. Let's pray. Father, we come and ask you to enable us. Father, we come and ask you for light in every life. It's here tonight. So that your purpose will be fulfilled in us your wonderful purpose. We thank you for life in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for security in him. We're coming and ask you to bring us each into that experience. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.